If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast, and friends, welcome to the 2023 New Year's episode. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know that in New Year's, we like to bring you some of the resolutions of our former clients and podcast guests. And we're going to do a little bit of that this year. I also wanted to take some time and share with you the 10 trends that I think are going to be impacting the nonprofit sector in 2023 and likely also impacting your nonprofit. Before we talk about these trends, let me set the table for the resolutions that we are about to hear. We went to some former clients and we asked them, hey, would you be willing to record your New Year's resolution for 2023? And we're going to share three of those with you. And I'll also tell you, friends, that at least one or two of those might surprise you. Additionally, Lexi and I answered that question as well. So we're going to share that. Once you've heard those resolutions, then I want to share with you the trends that I think are really going to be impacting the sector and your nonprofit in 2023. Hi, this is Rebecca Staplewax. I'm the executive director at Sojourn, the Southern Jewish Resource Network for Gender and Sexual Diversity. And my New Year's resolution for 2023 reminds me of my very first job where I was told by my supervisor that I needed to delegate more. So I am acquiring some new staff and I'm very excited about delegation. And that is my 2023 New Year's resolution. Hello, my name is John Welker. I'm the artistic and executive director a tremendous modern ballet theater, a performing arts troupe here in Atlanta, Georgia. My 2023 New Year's resolution is to simply be more present. Um, a lot harder than it might sound. Um, you know, my, my job and title takes me in many different directions, many modes of thinking, many different goals by interested groups. But uh, ultimately, it's a way for me to be more responsive and 
open and flexible to new ideas and modes of thinking, um, to be you know, a better father, a better husband, a better leader, and ultimately just a better person. Um, so I just want to wish everyone a New Year's, a happy New Year's and a wonderful 2023 ahead. My name is Kristen McMahon, and I serve as the president of the Robert H. Jackson Center in Jamestown, New York. Rather than making resolutions, I pick a word to serve as a theme for the year and then try to develop a couple of goals. So for 2023, my word is creative. I want to make room for both creative thoughts and deeds and both personally and professionally. So on the personal side, I like to do things with my hands and I want to do more of that. Baking, craft projects, and I'd like to learn how to throw pottery. And on the professional side, I want to think through how we can use the center's physical space to better tell Robert H. Jackson's story. And my board and staff have been working for almost a year now, dreaming and developing capacity building plans that definitely will take creative thought to accomplish. My goal so far, and I have two, and they're related. The first is to take in more information, books, articles, podcasts, what have you, that will help me be better at my job. And on the flip side of that, to stop using TV or streaming services as a distraction. And so that should help make room to focus. My New Year's resolution is to practice patience with the changes that are just about to happen in my life. In order to kind of explain that, I've got to give you a little bit of the background story. So back in February, my husband Frank and I decided to start the process to become foster parents. We did this because we really wanted to be able to provide a foster home to a lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender teenager in Georgia because there is such a dire need for accepting foster homes for members of our own community. And so we started the process and quickly learned that it is a difficult one to navigate. Combined, we have four college degrees, but that did not help us when there was such tremendous attrition among the professionals that we were working with at the foster care agency. Over the many months since then, I've really come to understand that the professionals working in that system are overwhelmed, overworked, and underpaid. And so it's been a long process, a process where we'll often take four steps forward and then a new staff member will arrive and we'll take three steps back. But two days before Thanksgiving, literally two days before Thanksgiving, we got the good news that we have been approved to become foster parents. And now we're actually on the precipice of becoming foster parents and welcoming a foster child into our home, likely early next year. So my resolution is to practice authentic patience. Neither Frank nor I have been parents, and I know that bringing a middle schooler into our home is going to bring just tremendous change. I also know that the demands of caring for and supporting a teenager, while both of us are also working, will at times be incredibly difficult. And since we've never been parents, when we are at a point where we're like, oh my gosh, we need help and support from the foster care system, we fully anticipate that the system might be too broken to provide the help that our family is going to need. And that, my friends, is why my New Year's resolution is to practice patience. Patience with myself, 
patience with my husband, patience with our new foster child, and of course, the multiple government systems that we are going to be interacting with as we move forward with this journey. This is Lexi Linger, and as many of you already know, I am a consultant at Successful Nonprofits, and I produce our podcast. I've had the same resolution for years because it's something that I think is really important, and it's also something that I'm still working on, and that resolution is to manage expectations. Like most things that sound really simple, it's actually really hard because it's so multifaceted, especially since managing expectations includes managing my own as well as those of everybody else around me. And I don't do as good a job of it as I'd like. So I'm gonna stick with it. I'm gonna keep managing expectations as my new year's resolution for 2023 and keep working on it. Friends, at the very beginning of this episode, I gave you a teaser and I promised you that I would talk about the 10 trends that are gonna be impacting the nonprofit sector. So let's jump right into these. I'm gonna do these a little bit rapid fire just so this does not turn into a 60-minute podcast. So the very first trend, and I feel confident about this one, it will be the best of times and the worst of times for nonprofits that are recruiting staff members. And here's why it's going to be the best of times. For nonprofits who commit to a good jobs strategy, they will be more competitive than ever. And part of what I mean when I say more uh, good job strategy, rather, is they commit to paying well. They're going to commit to fairness and equity. They're also going to really create operational efficiencies while offering a good structure for their employees, those operating procedures and policies that still allow autonomy for team members to feel like they can make decisions and make a difference. And finally, those nonprofits that commit to a good job strategy are going to be reducing the stress of uncertainty for their employees. And what that means is they're really going to be making sure that employees know that this nonprofit is going to be stable in good times and in bad, and that it's not going to make any sudden decisions around perhaps laying off staff members when times get bad. Now, here's why I say it's going to be the worst of times for some nonprofits that are recruiting staff. Let's face it, a lot of us as nonprofits contribute to what I think of as the nonprofit pay disparity complex. And those nonprofits are going to continue to struggle in recruiting staff, but also in retaining staff. And it seems obvious that the nonprofit pay disparity complex and nonprofits that really embrace paying as little as they think they possibly can and hope that they're going to get good talent, it seems obvious that they're going to have a hard time recruiting and retaining staff. But what this also means is that these nonprofits and their pay disparity is going to be pushing more people out of the sector because there's going to be even more people who say, you know what, I've had two really bad jobs where I've not been paid well. I've had a lot of uncertainty. It's not felt fair or equitable. And you know, I've not felt like I've had enough autonomy and I'm done with the nonprofit sector. I'm going to go into the for-profit sector or perhaps I'm going to go work for the government. And more and more of these individuals are going to say, you know, I'm going to go work for myself. I'm going to become a contractor or I'm going to start an LLC and I'm going to serve multiple organizations doing what I do right now. And that's why it's going to be the worst of times because, frankly, the worst nonprofit employers are going to be driving people out of the sector as employees. 
at the same time, we're going to see the balloon squeeze as well because the number of single-person households is going to continue to grow. So part of what this means is over the last decade or two, we have seen more and more people that are in single-person households. That means they have no dependents, they don't have a partner or a spouse. And those individuals are going to be demanding even more of a livable wage because they will be a one-wage-earning household. But it also means that in some cases, they're going to be more willing to take some risks in their career because they're not going to be jeopardizing really the well-being of their dependents if that risk does not work out. And the last thing that I think will be the best of times in terms of employment in the nonprofit sector for those of us who are contractors or employees is we are going to start to move from those predefined career paths to really authoring our own career journey. As I've already kind of mentioned, we're going to be taking more risks and we're also going to be seeing more people that are focusing on their professional impact and not so much on what is the next logical step in my professional journey. The second trend that we are going to see really hit the nonprofit sector is the wave of unionizations will continue in nonprofits of all size. I'm talking about nonprofits with a dozen staff members, as well as nonprofits with 1,200 staff members. We've already started to see the wave, but we've not seen the height of the wave at this point. Unionization is taking off across the country. And frankly, this is something that I really embrace and I think is a good thing. Organized labor is good for people. And I sincerely hope that your organization, if there are workers that are looking to unionize, that you, your board, and your executive director really embrace that wave. The third trend is that board sizes are going to continue to increase. Over the last five or six years, we've been seeing board size inch up, and currently the average board size is about 17 members. And if I'm a betting person, by the end of next year, the average board will probably have about 18 members, maybe even 19 members. Part of the reason for this is post-pandemic or whatever part of the pandemic we happen to be in now, we are finding ourselves stretched more and more. This is true as staff, but it's also true as board members, where we are finding that we have family obligations work obligations, community obligations that make it harder for us to do everything we want to do as a board member. And so a lot of boards are going to say, okay, in order for us to have vibrant, thriving committees, and in order for us to have board members that can make a good impact, we're going to need more of them. Because, you know, not every board member is going to be able to do three or four hours a week. They might only be able to do one or two. So let's recruit a few more board members to make up the difference. The fourth trend is that nonprofits who have focused on their email list over building a social media following will have stronger marketing opportunities. Now, that one might um, seem a little bit unusual, and so I'm going to have to explain it. So for a long, long time, nonprofits have been saying, oh my gosh, we need to develop as many Facebook connections, LinkedIn connections, Twitter connections as we possibly can. And we are currently seeing the meltdown of Twitter. And as that meltdown happens, frankly, we're going to see a lot of nonprofits that will see, oh my gosh, we're not getting the traction we used to get on Twitter. We're not getting individuals that are really engaging with us and responding to us on Twitter. But we've spent the last three or four years to build 
2,000, 5,000, or 10,000 followers on this social media platform. And now let me say, if your nonprofit has spent all of its time on Facebook or Instagram, you might right now think, oh my gosh, we made such a good decision to not go with Twitter, which is having a meltdown. But I just have to share that that's kind of luck. Another social media platform is going to melt down sometime in the coming years. And what we know is that our email list, we own, right? So if we develop an email list of 5,000 or 10,000, we can email them however we want, whenever we want, whatever we want. And we also know that no one's going to turn the light switch off on our email list. You know, if our email list is with, say, MailChimp, and MailChimp's going out of business, you can export all of your email addresses over to Constant Contact or some other email list manager system. And so nonprofits across the board are going to start to realize that their email lists are much, much more valuable than the social media followings they've been covering. The next trend is the rising interest rates are going to give nonprofits a competitive advantage over for-profit organizations that they, frankly, are in the same space with. And here's why. So if a nonprofit wants to expand, it might use debt. It might leverage and take out a loan, but it's certainly also going to use philanthropy in the form of individual giving and foundation money. And what this means is that nonprofits will essentially be able to have better access and cheaper access to capital than their for-profit competitors. For-profits are going to have to go to a lending institution, make a case, take out a loan, and pay interest. And the interest rate continues to go up. And so this will give us as nonprofits a huge competitive advantage. While interest rates are high, I would encourage any nonprofit that has for-profit competitors to really invest heavily in their infrastructure. Now is the time to do it, and now is the time to really start to outpace your for-profit competitors. All right, let's jump over now to the sixth trend. Rising prices will have a positive impact on gift size. This is also counterintuitive, but here's why I believe that even though prices are rising, we're actually going to see gifts the size of gifts rise as well. So if we think of our nation as kind of having a donor class, and the donor class is really any individual that gives money, whether they give $50 gifts or $50,000 gifts. So that donor class has discretionary money to give away, and they will continue to have discretionary money despite rising prices. Here's the kicker, though. As the cost of many of the goods and services dramatically rise that the donor class will often purchase, we're talking about things like airfare and eating out and, you know, those types of things. As those are rising dramatically, suddenly a donor is going to think about what they give in a different way too. And so as an example, in my own life, you know, if the cost of eating out goes from, say, $50 to $75 or $100, suddenly that $50 charitable gift feels a lot cheaper to me. And the $100 charitable gift feels right on. So what I would encourage all nonprofits to do is you think about your donors. Now is not the time to be shy. Now is not the time to say to your donors, oh, we know that all everything else has increased, the price of the things that you buy and gas and housing. And so, gosh, if you could just give us what you gave us last year, we'd be so grateful. You know, that's not the way to handle it. The way to handle it is to go in boldly and say, you know, last year 
and you made a generous contribution of $250, will you consider a gift of $500? And let's face it, the donor that last year was buying $250 tickets for a weekend trip to go to New York and is now spending $500 for that same airfare is going to not view $500 as being nearly as much as perhaps it used to feel. The seventh trend is that 2023 is the time to plan facility renovations that will decrease your carbon footprint. So part of this goes back to trend number five, which of course is capital is cheap for nonprofits when it's given to them by foundations and individuals and sometimes the government. But going hand in hand with that is that more funders are willing to consider facility upgrades that are designed to decrease your organization's carbon footprint. And this is especially true in disaster-prone areas, areas that have more frequent hurricanes, that are having annual wildfires and mudslides. So now is the time to go to your funders and say, hey, we're looking at solar panels, and here's what it's going to cost. Would you help cover this cost? And Part of the nice impact is our carbon footprint is going to go down and we are going to be contributing to a world where hopefully we will have fewer natural disasters. And the other reason that this is a good time to be thinking about those facility renovations is rising interest rates are undoubtedly going to result in fewer large construction projects. And the reason they will result in fewer large construction projects is because when interest rates go up, the cost of those construction projects goes up as well because the developer has to take out a loan to build the project. And consequently, there's going to be more materials and labor available for your project. So materials will have fewer shortages. I think we'll still have a pretty tight labor market. It's not going to be what we've seen over the last year and a half or two years. The eighth trend that I think is 100% going to be impacting the nonprofit sector and perhaps your organization is that nonprofits that do not provide place-based services are going to start to embrace a fully remote workforce. We had a grand experiment during COVID and we found that those organizations that aren't providing place-based services really can do most of their work remotely and not just remotely, but not even in the same city. And so the tools that we use to facilitate remote work and have used for the last couple of years, we will also start to use to measure and improve performance of those of us that work remotely. Now, one of the things I think to really be cautious and aware of if your organization decides to embrace fully remote work for most of your team is those organizations that are committed to JEDI are going to have to redouble their efforts in a remote work organization. All right, second to last one, the ninth trend is that nonprofits will better harness the power of artificial intelligence. We have such powerful tools that are dirt cheap now, whether we're talking about Office 365's Power Automate or creating macros or, frankly, even you know, artificial intelligence-generated art. We have such an ability to save, not just save money, but to save our talent and our employees from doing some of the most drudgery-type work. That work that's, okay, I had this email come in, now I have to turn it into a PDF, 
Now I have to see, save it into that folder. All of that can be done through artificial intelligence. There potentially could be a frequently asked questions bot on your website that people could interact with and ask their question and get their answer, which you know then means whoever normally is doing that at your organization can be doing even the higher level work. And one of the final things that artificial intelligence is really going to do, it's going to change the way we design and create our websites, our publications, our social media. Lexi and I have really embraced, frankly, art that is created by artificial intelligence. And it's open source art. Almost everything at our website now, we have created using artificial intelligence, or of course, maybe in some cases, we've just snapped some photos. But the vast majority is art that is created through AI. And so if you're at all worried about intellectual property rights, this is another reason why your organization will probably consider embracing artificial intelligence in this year. In our show notes, we'll put a few links of AI apps that we have used and have found to be really effective. And so this is, my friends, our last and final trend for 2023. Just as our organizations are going to change, just as our staffing patterns are going to change, and just as our ability to recruit and retain talent is going to change, our organization services themselves must evolve and change right along with all of these other trends. And for this reason, I believe that those who we serve are going to demand four things. The first is they're going to want to access services remotely. It's really inconvenient to go to a place if I can just get what I need remotely. And I think a lot of people feel this way more and more. The second is that just as our team members, our staff members need to feel seen, heard, and served as their authentic self, our clients will too. And that means just as we have to embrace justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion for our staff members and team members and volunteers, we have to do that for those we serve. Additionally, just as our donors are going to be viewing charitable contribution size differently, and frankly, be much more amenable to larger gifts. If you have a service that generates earned revenue, i.e. people paying for that service, guess what? They're also going to be willing to pay more. They're going to be viewing money, cost, and price very differently from the way they did two years ago. Just as groceries have gone up by 10 plus percent, they're not going to be at all surprised if the cost of your service goes up by 10 or 15% as well. And the last thing that our clients are going to be demanding of us is that we reduce that stress of uncertainty. We have to reduce the stress of uncertainty for our staff members, and that's what's essential for us to retain them. But especially those of us in the social service space, we have to find ways so that our clients understand that this is a service that will be there for them even when times are bad, even in some ways that will mitigate the uncertainty that they feel because of the economy or because of the labor force. And so, my friends, those are the 10 big trends that I think are going to be really impacting nonprofits and likely your nonprofit in 2023. Before I sign off, I just want to express some gratitude to you. I am so grateful 
that you have been a podcast listener in 2022 and that you have been on the journey with me. And I am looking forward to moving into 2023 with you. We have some incredible episodes lined up for the very first quarter of 2023. We're talking about episodes that are going to make you think about things in a new way and also help you. And, you know, and, and I say this is the tagline all the time, but I genuinely mean this. Also help you and your nonprofit thrive. That's the reason, gosh, I think it was like back in 2017 that we created the podcast. That's the reason that about six years ago, we created this podcast because we are dedicated to helping you and your organization thrive and helping you achieve your mission. So please accept my gratitude for being on this journey with me. And I hope that your 2023 is an incredible year, not just professionally, but also personally, that it's a year of breakthroughs, it's a year of discovery, joy, laughter, and of course, awe. If there's one thing that I hope, I hope your year overflows with awe. That, my friends, is our episode, not just our episode, our New Year's episode. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast and this episode is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If that's what you need, please find a licensed, qualified professional in your area 